Thanks for joining us on the Week in Review. I'm Paris Schutz. Mayor Brandon Johnson on the defensive this week. Retiring and moving away from this particular form of technology while providing a runway is what I've said. That's the understanding that you all should work with, and, and, and I'll leave it at that. Questions swirl around city council over the mayor's decision to end controversial shot spotter contract. He says it'll continue through the summer, but the company behind the technology appears to reject that and could turn the system off tonight. I don't know where, where the disagreement really exists here. The commitment to the mission is what we're all in agreement with. The mayor also dodges questions on a supposed agreement with the state and county on new migrant funding, saying he has not pledged new city money, but the governor says he did, and then reversed course. Mike Madigan's former right-hand man gets two and a half years in prison for perjury related to testimony about his former boss. And the Bears lose their bid to lower property taxes on land they own in Arlington Heights. Does that make a Chicago stadium more likely? And a new report says Jerry Reinsdorf planning to ask the state for $1 billion in tax money for the new White Sox Stadium. Well, we'll see if there's an appetite for that. Joining us on our Week in Review panel are Dan Mihalopoulos from WBEZ, our very own Heather Sharon, Becky Vivi from Chalkbeat Chicago, and Cheryl Ray Stout, also from WBEZ. Let's get right into it. This shot spotter contract, Heather Sharon, the mayor comes out and announces it's going to end, but not now. They're going to extend it through the Democratic National Convention in the summer. The company behind shot spotter says, well, we didn't agree to that. Then the mayor's on the defensive, so what's going to happen? That's a big question. So the system could be turned off by ShotSpotter tonight. However, we have been told by older people that they have been told that the system will stay in use. But my pleas for any sort of comment from the mayor's office or ShotSpotter, now known as Sound Thinking, have gone unanswered. There were clearly negotiations still going on today about whether the company would allow the city to continue using this, the technology through September. It's unclear what will happen. Demi Lopez, this is a case of the mayor counting his chickens before they were hatched. He comes out and tells the media, we're going to have this temporary agreement, but then it's going away, pleasing his progressive base. The company says, not so fast. Yeah, it seems like he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He wants to keep it through the Democratic National Convention when the eyes of the world will be on the city and then, you know, make everyone that got him into office happy by doing what they said they're going to do. Uh, now, we have a report from my colleague Tom Shuba at the Sun-Times just about an hour ago uh, before we came on the air talking about it's not going to go off right when they can turn it off. Which would be at 11.59 tonight. That's right. the end of their contract. Right. But, you know, again, we don't have any, any indication that the ink is dry on any sort of new agreement, any temporary extension. This is obviously huge from the company. I think their stock took a hit. It's a publicly traded company. Huge Clearly hit. Clearly, they're when, angry when at this, this decision. Yeah, so what, what motivation do they have? I, I don't know uh, to give a short-term deal, but I think that the mayor would have wanted to have that in writing and ratified before coming out and saying this is the plan going forward because that's obviously not the plan. Sure, I said it almost reminds me of in the 90s when the Bears uh, hired Dave McGinnis. Yeah. They announced it to the press, but then as the head coach, but then they didn't uh, actually sign a contract and he pulled out. Yeah, he walked away. Why can't the mayor get this deal done before the deadline? 
Why wasn't it done weeks ago instead of waiting, you know, hours before something's going to happen? It doesn't make any sense. And this is clearly what his progressive base wanted. This was right. seemingly the way he was going to go, but didn't announce it until the last minute. And, 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 that's, and that's what's, you know, kind of like shocking that it, it's not the first time this is happening with him. It's continuing problems with him, getting deals done, getting it, you know, then he's got egg on his face. Thank you, VV. Why keep it through the summer if the mayor, like his progressive allies, believe that this system does not work and, in fact, leads to bad outcomes in, in minority communities? Well, on one hand, it's also very baked into the Chicago Police Department. And you have police who showed up, the Fraternal Order of the Police uh, showed up to testify this week in city council and say, you know, this is really baked into the work that we do and turning this off really, like, doesn't allow us to do our jobs effectively. And it is a, a big part of the system now that it's been in place for as long as it's been in place. Um, and it, they claim, you know, that they have 90% accuracy in, you know, detecting gunshots. Um, some of the research and reports and investigations have shown that while, yes, that may be true, it doesn't necessarily lead to reductions in crime. Um, but we also only have it, I believe, in 12 wards or uh, 12 yeah. parts of the city where they're the most you know, violent areas of the city. And so I think you have a police department that's saying, this is a tool we use that we want to keep. And so a lot of tension there. Um, and it obviously wasn't fully baked or figured out before this deadline. And, and that's up the on thing, us. Heather Sharon, uh, Mayor Johnson's police superintendent Larry Snelling does believe in this technology. Does that mean there might be a rift between the two of them? Snelling just maybe lost out on this one. Well, you know, I think that Larry Snelling has spent most of his career taking orders from his boss, and now the mayor is his boss. So I think that Larry Snelling is probably somebody who's willing to sort of, you know, do what he is told in issues like this. The issue is, is that it, we're not even agreeing on the same set of facts, because if you talk to the police, they'll say this is an effective tool that we really need. If you talk to the inspector general, she will tell you that only one in 10 shot spotter alerts lead to anything real or, you know, have any impact on law enforcement. And if you talk to sort of progressive groups in the community, they will say this contributes to the over-policing of black and brown communities. Nobody's sort of even agreeing sort of whether the system is worth having or worth paying for. And that has sort of led to this confusion because I think it would be reasonable for progressive groups to say, hey, Mayor, if this system isn't working or isn't sort of doing what we want it to do, why continue it through September? And, you know, clearly the convention is an issue. The hot, violent, often summer is an mm. issue. But this is sort of adding to this sort of, you know, sense of confusion that nobody really knows sort of what is happening and at that, City Hall. That's the thing, uh, Dan Mialopoulos. If this does go offline tonight, doesn't that mean that there could be problems with policing? Because as Becky said, it's baked into the, the, the way police depart uh, departments deploy their, their cops right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different opinions about how effective it is and whether it should be continued. I mean, there was a world before they had it. Um, so I'm not going to speak for the individual police officers in some of these areas, which are difficult areas to work in, as to whether it's going to make their lives worse and make the lives of the people that live in those areas worse. However, I think everyone can agree that the way that this has been handled over the last few days and months has not been, I think all the sides, regardless of your policy position and your views on it as as a, as a tool for policing, all agree that I don't, I don't I think this is a solution where he was trying to make maybe a lot of people happy 
and has made nobody happy. And it seems like nobody's happy uh, between uh, Governor Pritzker, Cook County Board President Preckwick, and Mayor Johnson, because they had a meeting February 5th, Heather Sharon, where they were announcing or they were going to discuss you know, their strategy going forward for migrants. First of all, what did they discuss in that meeting? Well, we now know that that meeting was called to discuss a new estimate that it will cost an additional $321 million to care for the migrants who are already here through the end of 2024. And that this meeting was designed to sort of figure out how to pay for that. And so we know from Governor Pritzker that he agreed to ask the General Assembly for an additional $182 million. Cook County Board President Tony Prankwinkle says, okay, I'll go back to the county board and ask them for seven million dollars and then it seems like Johnson at some point sort of indicated according to the governor's office that he was willing to ask the city council for an additional 70 million dollars which would be on top of the 150 million dollars that the city has already set aside in its 2024 budget. Johnson indicated yesterday that he never quite made that commitment and if he did he certainly had no immediate plans to ask the city council but to make good on that commitment. Governor Pritzker then comes out and says not only did he make that commitment he is now going back on it. Are you surprised at this constant sort of public back and forth between the governor and the mayor of the biggest city in the state, uh, members of the same party here on this important issue. Right, and they can't seem to get on the same page at a very critical time when not only are migrants arriving every single day, but the party's headed into a massive like Democratic National Convention yeah. where this is a huge issue. And I don't know if they think maybe the confusion will help their case to get resources from the federal government. I have no idea, but it does seem a little bizarre. I will note that, you know, the governor is about to deliver a sort of state of the state budget address next week. And so he's gearing up to unveil this promise that he's going to dedicate money to the migrants' uh, response. And so, but the city and the county are on a different budget cycle. They had their budgeting last fall. And so there may be a little bit of disconnect here as to, okay, well, when are you going to go back to your chambers and ask for that additional money? And how will that line up with how the state does its budget? What do you think about that, Cheryl? So the fact that the mayor apparently says, okay, I'll pony up $70 million from the city, but then says, no, wait, not, not yet. That's a problem that keeps happening with the, with the government right now. And, and the thing is, when you have these dollar amounts that you're, you're hearing about, we don't know how many migrants are going to be sent up here for the Democratic National Convention. There's going to be more people sent up here. They're going to need more money. So they better figure out how to get this thing budgeted, because I don't think what they have right now is going to be adequate enough. <laughs> And I think, honestly, that is the heart of mm -hmm. Mayor Johnson's frustration with Governor Pritzker. In mid-November, Governor Pritzker said, look, we will spend $65 million in state funds and we will build a 2,000-bed shelter. Now, that was supposed to be the winterized base camp in Brighton Park. And the, and the governor very publicly pulled the plug on that after an environmental study found that there was significant pollution on that land, even after the mayor had told the press that it was safe for people to live there temporarily. That meant that that those 2,000 beds have yet to materialize. And just a couple of weeks ago, Johnson said, look, we could really use those beds. Even as the shelter population has dropped somewhat significantly in recent weeks, nobody expects that to continue. So you have a situation where you have a mayor who feels like the governor hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain. You have a governor who feels like the mayor has reneged on his commitments. And you have people, men, women, children, literally living in shelters with not much more than a garbage bag full of clothes worried about being evicted starting in just a couple of weeks. And that's the governor's frustration, Dan Mialopoulos. It seems to be that he keeps coming out publicly and saying these things because 
the, the DNC is going to be his big show. I mean, the governor wants a national platform. It's Chicago's big show. It's Illinois' big show. It's the governor's big show. It's the Democratic Party's big show. And maybe he just doesn't trust Mayor Johnson to have all this under control when the national spotlight's going to be here. It's also Mayor Johnson's big show. I mean, this is, and I know that, that Governor Pritzker has been, uh, his name has been thrown out there as a possible even replacement for Joe Biden had he not run for another term along maybe just below other names like Gavin Newsom of uh, the governor of California. But having said all that, it is Chicago's convention as well as Illinois' convention, but primarily Chicago's convention. This is not the first time, as, as Heather pointed out, I believe with the 60-day limit that uh, the, the city was going to put on, uh, on people staying, uh, migrants staying in those shelters uh, and, and putting that limit on also attracted criticism from the governor. And so you have a number of issues, one after the other, over a period of months where the stories come out that they're not getting along and they say, oh, well, that's not true. But then you have more and more evidence that indeed that is the case, that they can't see eye to eye on this issue and on other issues. I don't recall, you know, a governor and a mayor of the same party continually publicly clashing like this. I mean, Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot clash sometimes, but it seemed to be behind the scenes yes. more than this. So it's interesting how this keeps playing out publicly. I mean, perhaps... There's always been some tensions between City Hall and Springfield, yeah. even when people from the That's same true. party yeah. are in charge, you know, I, I don't think Rahm and Emanuel and Pat Quinn pelled around But you didn't. But you didn't... Have, have them publicly Correct. issuing press releases against each other. Sometimes Republican governors got along great with Democratic mayors. You know, I think it's worth mentioning that this is why, this is what Governor Greg Abbott of Texas yeah. wanted to happen. Yes. He yes. sent these people to Chicago in an attempt to sort of make Democratic controlled cities and democratically controlled states make really hard decisions that there are no good answers. So I think that this is exactly what the Republican Party yes. wanted to see happen. They enjoy this sort of confrontation because they know ultimately it's going to be President Joe Biden, who's running for re-election, who's going to wear the jacket of having a divided Democratic Party. And, you know, they ha this is a number of, one of a number of attempts to sort of make immigration sort of an albatross on the, around the necks of the Democrats. And so far, it's working well, in Illinois. Certainly Republicans during the DNC are going to want the, it's a yes. big TV show. They're Correct. Going to want the images of migrants in, in tents and the city overflowing with with problems like that. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, Becky, some news with CPS this week. They're deciding not to new this, renew this big, gigantic contract with Aramark, a co uh, company that provided their janitorial services. And it seems like um, the CTU members are breathing a big sigh of relief. Well, yeah, not so much CTU, but SEIU, which represents school janitors, called this a victory early in the week when uh, this, the district announced its intent um, to put before the board a new plan for janitorial services and end the contract with Aramark. That contract's been in place for about a decade now. In some ways, it was the week of canceled contracts, I suppose. <laughs> um, and really, this was a big um, yeah, back in... 2014, a uh, big deal contract that was a record in price, and it was really a signal of privatization, which at the time, you know, CTU and SEIU were really sounding alarm bells about 
over-privatizing services, public services. Um, and it was really the management of custodians more than it was the custodians themselves. And um, really that right off the bat that summer, problems with dirty schools, principals saying, we don't know who our janitor is. They did a whole bunch of reassignments this summer. Um, and they were going to lay off a bunch of janitors. Then they reneged on that. Um, five years later, when the contract was up again in 2018, Sun-Times, Lauren Fitzpatrick writes about same thing, problem, same problem. Dirty schools, schools not getting cleaned, confusion about how to really get, um, you know, give the principal the power to be able to call up the janitor and get them in the building to make the, you know, to clean up the schools. So does this and mean so, the schools are going to be spick and span I now think with, that's with a new question. provider? And even when the district put out this announcement, um, they said, you know, we are we having this plan to transition back to internal house management. They're going to hire something like 70 um, custodial managers at the district to oversee a mix of both uh, board public custodians and custodians that are actually from like seven different private janitorial companies. They're local, smaller, not Aramark behemoth companies. Um, and that they're going to roll out a new system of, of Is it going to cost the district schools. less or... It about looks like it will be a little bit less, but about the same when you also factor in a contract that they have to now put back in place to buy all of the cleaning supplies themselves mm. as well. So when you add that with the um, the seven vendors of, of janitors and the cost of all the salaries, so it's well, going to be about they'll, a break They'll be racking even. up the bills at Target and, and Walgreens and the cleaning <laughs> no, supply aisle. Yeah, right. and they don't get any money for that. they got to take it out of their paychecks. No, I, I think really what's what's really been happening here, I looked at the list of the seven companies on the, on the board agenda. Uh, one of those companies, by the way, SEIU, the very company that wanted Aramark out, was, was very critical of, of that company mm -hmm. called uh, United Maintenance, I think it was, when they got a contract from a prior, prior administration to uh, do the janitorial stuff at O'Hare. I mean, ultimately, I think what they want is it to be in-house, to be janitors who are basically on the public payroll and to reverse this privatization that happened. Now, the reason they do these privatizations is to save money. That way they don't have to pay them the benefits. They don't have to uh, pay them the pensions that uh, public employees get. But what, at the end of the day, is the result? Do you have cleaner schools? Do you have clean enough schools to begin right. with? I mean, uh, relatively speaking, whether it's private or, or in-house, and uh, they haven't managed these contracts well enough or the, the people they've chosen haven't done a good job over a period of a number of years, and now we have an administration that's much more friendly to labor, obviously. So you have a move away from privatization, which was the big trend of prior administrations. Didn't we learn anything during COVID? How clean we have to have our schools and everything like that? I mean, is it... Obviously, know, that was simple. a huge deal, right? I think it's, it's a simple thing to say, but... I think this is why, us. you know, not only the, the staff and the unions that represent them are cheering this, they are also, you hear from parents that are like, yes. wow, I never thought I'd see the day, but also hopeful that this will actually result in cleaner schools and schools that, um, you know, where you're not having to to call seven people to get, get something cleaned up, you know. I remember being at a board t meeting many, many years ago and a mother testifying about a kindergartner throwing up on the carpet and it being left over the weekend mm. to crust. And that's not something that you want when you're sending your kids to school. And I'm sure that was an anomaly, but I think we'll that's the kind of thing that these seven new companies can we do a better job on, on cleaning up that clean. vomit. Um, i got to um, very quickly ask you, Dan Mihalopoulos, uh, Tim Mapes, uh, Mike Madigan's former chief of staff, the guy that uh, made 
The trains run on time, as he said. He's going to jail for two and a half years for perjury and obstruction because he wouldn't tell the truth when the grand jury was asking him about what he knew about Madigan's activities in ComEd. Again, why? Why is it worth two and a half years in, in jail? Well, uh, loyalty was what apparently motivated him. I mean, we can't get in his head, but the judge in sentencing him certainly told him, you know, your loyalty was misguided, misplaced. Uh, and, um, you know, w why would you do this exactly like you said? But we see it wasn't the only corruption case we had this week. There were a couple of state lawmakers mm -hmm. uh, on trial. One very reluctantly showed up to his own trial in Sam McCann and is at Collins from Chicago. All over the state, both parties um, with corruption cases, again, uh, keeping uh, the courthouses and the reporters who cover government going to courthouses more and spending more time there and corruption cases than they are at the actual buildings where, where the government is administered and legislation is made. You well, know, it's... The next corrupt contract's going to come from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the next corrupt yeah. Come from. <laughs> yes, the reporters know the halls of those uh, federal court buildings right. so well right now. Uh, Cheryl Ray Stout, a report today from Crane, says that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to uh, put his hand out or put his cup out for a billion dollars uh, for this beautiful new stadium in the South Loop. Uh, I thought Governor Pritzker said there's no appetite for public money for private stadiums. That's what I heard, I heard, too. This is an end around. It looks like to me that Jerry Reinsdorf is trying to find a way to get a deal done before the Bears do anything in the city. Uh, a billion dollars is a lot of money, but he's... They talked about where they would use some of that uh, two percent hotel tax would be involved with it. That there would there, that there's a way that that money would be because that's paying for guaranteed rate field right now. Exactly, exactly. So that would continue with a new a new stadium too. But there's a lot of uh, debt with the Soldier Field debt, the so you know guaranteed rate debt. So there's a lot of debt there, and to build something like that, and you need a billion dollars. I don't think the taxpayers are going to like that at all. And that's the thing. It comes from that 2% hotel tax, but when the hotel revenues are down, Dan, don't, don't they come out of just regular uh, tax coffers? That's how the Soldier Field deal was uh, set up. And, and you know, they're, they're talking about basically taking out another enormous mortgage at the same time they're still paying, you know, servicing other debt and, and paying off those loans and with, uh, with sources that are erratic, as you point out. Uh, that, in that case, I think hotel tax is smarter from a public budgeting sense because... Other people are paying. Right. People who are right. visiting. But how here. much? How but, much can you jack that hotel tax up? Look, look. I mean, that's <laughs> another thing. The hotels don't want that because it makes it less likely right. that people come here as opposed to New York or Miami or other places where they can travel to. So, this. I'm glad that there's finally a number out there because right. my first reaction to this plan was who's going to pay for it? And now we know, not surprisingly, that Jerry Reinsdorf expects us to pay for it. I can say I'm the same people that pay for everything fan, that he's ever right? built. Well, but, exactly. he's, but he's also saying that if they develop that land there, there's going to be sales tax that they'll be able, the city will be able to right. get because of all the businesses they'll be building there. I mean, I don't know that it can offset it. I don't think you can, you know. Yeah, but even we realize nationally that a lot of those studies are exaggerated in terms of the impact of these facilities on the local economy. What we do know for a fact is what we're going to pay to build these things, but I think the numbers are much, much fuzzier when it comes to what we're going to get yeah, out of it. Lo lo lots yeah, lots of The mega developments, too, I feel like those are not getting off the ground very quickly, so what's the chance that well, there's... Well, I think know, the 78, they, they, yeah. I think they, yeah. this kind of bailed them out. I mean, yeah. they weren't getting anything going except for that research center from the U of I. Cheryl, i, I got to ask you about spring training, pitchers and catchers report. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any reason to get excited uh, for uh, either side uh, this year? 
Well, I think uh, with the Cubs getting Craig Collins as their manager, I think it was a great move. They have a lot of positives with that team. Still don't have Cody Bellinger, which that's the biggest question mark. Everyone thought he'd be signed by now. But Scott Burroughs is making sure his, uh, his top guys are not getting signed. The White Sox, they're going to be... Not good. But they do have some young players. They, they did a lot of things. They, they've changed their, their mindset of how to be better defenders. They have been awful in the field. And the interesting thing when we were talking to uh, GM Chris Getz the other day, he said that when he was talking to free agent pitchers, they did not want to come to the White Sox because the defense was so bad. Mm. And that is really a staple of having a good team. Your pitchers rely on their, especially up the middle, having good defenders to be able to do their job. So that's what they worked on. That's what they centered on. They're, they're just, you know, I'm hoping they're at least a little entertaining. Well, you all were entertaining tonight, <laughs> but we are out of time. So our thanks for Dan Mihalopoulos, Heather Sharon, Becky Vivi, and Cheryl Ray Stout. And we're back to wrap things up right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by the Alexandra and John Nichols family. The Polk Brothers Foundation. Additional support is provided by... Tonight's presentation of Chicago Tonight, Week in Review, is made possible in part by Anne and Rich Carr, Francine and Dr. Anthony Brown, and the Mullenhauer Progressive Philanthropic Fund in honor of Ida Mollenhauer, supporting quality journalism. That's our show for this Friday night. Don't forget you can get Chicago Tonight and the Week in Review streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website, wttw.com news. And join us Monday at 5.30 and 10 for a WTTW News special, firsthand homeless. We explore the experiences of those facing homelessness and discuss possible solutions. And now for the Week in Review, I'm Paris Schutz. Thank you for watching. Stay healthy and safe, and have a great weekend. A great night at the United Center. Cheryl, as you just told me, Connor Bedard, what was that like? It was exciting. He's making his triumphant return after well, a couple we, weeks we off. Well, we were told that he wouldn't come back till next week, and then right. he, had, so he had a practice under his that belt. That just uh, And then also faster. it was like we could message us, hey, he's, he's working out today. He's going to be playing. We're like, holy, that's unbelievable. It was exciting. He, you know, was a little slow at the beginning, but you could see what he can do offensively could spark this team that doesn't have any offense to speak of besides him. Is his jaw okay? Is everything he wears healed? a mask. He wears a big mask on it. Oh, it's, okay. it's like a shell, and uh, he's been bugging to get on the ice. You know, he's been doing workouts. I've been seeing him before practices and after practices, but to be able to see him on there, he's 18 years old. You know, and yet, you know, it's, it was surprising. So that injury, how much of that was hockey, and how? Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a personal injury law firm committed to giving back to the community through law and philanthropy.